Hello, everybody. Welcome to the American Shoreline Podcast. My name is Peter Ravel. I'm the host of this show. And right about here in the in the show, we would hear Tyler Buckingham say, I'm Tyler Buckingham and I'm the co-host, but Tyler is out in San Francisco this week visiting his family for uh, Easter, so is not joining us on the show. Uh, we actually have a great guest uh, for the listeners on the American Shoreline Podcast. We are at the Galveston District of the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers Headquarters Office with Andrew Weber, a project manager and engineer. Uh, and I believe, uh, Andrew... Uh, leading up a very special project. So if you would, introduce yourself to the American Shoreline podcast audience and tell us what you do at the Corps. Well, hello, everybody. My name is Andrew Weber, and I am the project manager for the Corps' Buffalo Bayou and Tributaries Resiliency Study. The BBTR, as I've heard it called. Uh, yes, it's a little bit easier to say that. In the B- we can call it the BBTR, but I think we ought to tell our listeners a little bit more about it. Buffalo Bayou Tributaries and Resiliency Study. Buffalo Bayou and, and Tributaries Resiliency Study. What is the purpose of the BBTR? All right. Well, let, let's start with a, a little bit of a history lesson. Uh, this actually goes back to uh, s- catastrophic flooding in Houston uh, back in the early 20s and 30s. Uh, at that time, uh, you know, the the people came together and, you know, enough's enough. You know, let, let's take a harder look at uh, flood risk management here. And that led to uh, the creation of the federal Buffalo Bayou and Tributaries Project. Okay. And, and that was uh, back in 1939. It, it got authorized, and it was a a grand plan to help Houston with flooding. Uh, now, uh, you know, right after the 1930s, mm-hmm. World War II came in. Yeah, that gets authorized right as the United States is about to enter World War II. Right. So the Army got a little busy, I would assume. It did, but uh, two project features were built out of that original plan. Uh, they are Attucks uh, Dam and Reservoir and Barker Dam and Reservoir. Uh, west of the city of Houston. So if we're looking at the map of Houston, kind of a little bit to the west side, maybe slightly north out there. So coming in from the west uh, through Fort Bend County is these two reservoirs that were constructed in the 1940s. Is that right? That is right. And what did they, what were they built for? Well, uh, what they are is that they're dry reservoirs. Uh, They're meant to uh, impound water, collect water during the, the heights of the inflows, and, and then to release it in a controlled manner uh, downstream so that it, it has less impact on the city of Houston. Okay, so not hydroelectric, not irrigation, not recreational lakes. These are dry reservoirs. How big were they? What was the capacity of these things? Uh, so just uh, some general numbers. Uh, each one of the reservoirs is approximately 10,000 acres, give or, give or take a 1,000 or two. And, uh, you know, operationally, they can hold uh, 150, 200,000 uh, acre feet of water uh, in those general amounts. Each? Each. That's a lot of storage capacity. And were they meant to collect floodwaters or high high stream flows coming down what reservoirs? I guess Buffalo Bayou? Is that, the, is that the tributary or the river system that these guys are meant to capture? So uh, Barker Dam and Reservoir is on the main stem of 
Buffalo Bayou. Uh, Attucks is on a primary tributary. It collects from Langham and Mady Creeks and okay. a couple others. All right, so these two big reservoirs are built as flood control structures or flood water retention structures. Uh, and is it true that Buffalo Bayou sort of meanders right into the heart of Houston and uh, is some pretty special uh, geographic location, this, this tributary? Why is it important that you control the water flow through the Buffalo Bayou through the city of Houston? Right. Well, and the, the Buffalo Bayou does go straight through uh, downtown Houston. Uh, and that, that, those floods in the 1920s, uh, there was water up to the second floor windows and, and much of downtown and it even closed the Port of Houston down for a amount of time just because of the, the debris and, and sediment and flotsam and jetsam that, that ended up there. So wow. it, it's uh, there's a very large uh, and potentially impacted community downstream of these reservoirs. And even more so from the time they were built in the 1940s, the city of Houston, of course, continues to boom, as it always has, as the, I guess the... The key characteristic of, of Texas land planning, the city of Houston, uh, big, expansive city of 4 million people now, um, and Buffalo Bayou, the tributary running right through the heart of downtown, uh, obviously impacting tremendous property value, tremendous assets in the city. Uh, how did these reservoirs perform over the years? Did it work? Well, you know, at least on the, the first half of that statement, that, that's a good lead into why the Buffalo Bayou okay. Tributaries Resiliency Study. Great. Uh, you know, these projects were authorized back in the f- 30s, built in the 40s. Uh, you know, there, there's a pretty good timeline where we see uh, Houston grow. So when they were built back in the 40s, these were uh, rice farms 15, 10, 15 miles west of Houston. Outside the city limits. Outside the city limits. By, by the time we get to the, the 80s and 90s, uh, you know, growth has occurred to where there's development right on the faces of the downstream side of these dams. And, and now when you fast forward to today, the reservoirs and the buffalo by itself downstream of the dams are completely developed, completely enveloped by development. Wow. And what's amazing to me in doing a little bit of background research is the height of these uh, these dams is more than 100 feet, isn't it? No. Okay. How high, how high are these right. things? So both dams are 35 to 40 feet above, oh. the, of the, above the ground surface elevation. Okay. Uh, they're big and shallow and hold a lot of water. Okay. Big, wide, somewhat like an open horseshoe. Uh the water comes in, it fills up this depression, uh, so the dam elevation about 35 feet above grade. Yes. Okay. And what are they made out of? The majority of it is just uh, native soils. They're uh, earthen embankments uh, with uh, a special uh, concrete outlet works where, where we release water. Uh, into the main channels, uh, as well as uh, com- reinforced roller compacted concrete auxiliary spillways at the end of the dams. Mm-hmm. And yes, they are big horseshoes. Uh, each one of the dams is, is 12 to 14 miles long. Wow, that's isn't that's amazing. And then the city grew up to the base of these things, which must be a little bit scary to be the uh, folks who are responsible for these dams that. Uh, 
the development approval at the local level has allowed this high density uh, and fairly expensive real estate to be uh, developed right below the dam. Is that kind of the situation? Well, the, the Corps maintains a, a robust dam safety program, and, you know, that includes the routine uh, operation, maintenance, and review of design and potential downstream consequences. Uh, both of these dams are currently rated uh, a DSAC, Dam Safety Acts, Action Classification 1. Okay. And, and, and what that means is, is you know, not, not, they're not in danger of failing. I mean, right. they have 24-hour hour, uh, staff on hand, and, and, you know, they're dry most of the time, but when water starts coming up, they're, they're manned 24-7 by trained engineers. But, but uh, when, when talking about risk, there, there's always a chance something bad could happen, and, you know, how big is that bad thing? And, right. and the Corps is very cognizant of just how much is downstream of these reservoirs. Right. So when you, on the scale, well, tell us the name of that scale again, the dam safety... Action classification. Okay, and it's number one. Tell mm. us how big is the scale, and is number one at the top of the list or at the bottom of the list? Uh, number one is the... the uh, highest priority. Uh, it goes to number five, and uh, a DSAC number five would be a brand new, uh, meets all current, you know, a bells and whistles type current okay. new construction. I got it. And so these things are very important under certain conditions that occur uh, normally, big dry area, maybe a little bit of water, nobody notices that it's even a dam perhaps. Um, and then occasionally they fill up. And, and it's that controlled release that is what protects the city of Houston from the kind of flooding that occurred in the 1920s. It sounds like that's the, the goal of the deal. That's about right. Um, so why, why the BBTR? What, what prompted the Corps to undertake the Buffalo Bayou's tributaries? Let's see, Buffalo Bayou and Tributaries Resiliency Study. Why, why take another look at this thing? I'm, okay. Well, the, the Galveston District, uh, along with our partners, the, the Harris County Flood Control District, you know, have been very cognizant of that development. And, and we've been requesting funds to do what's called a Section 216 study. That's Section 216 right. of the Flood Control Act of 1970. And, and what that is is that authorizes the Corps of Engineers to go look at a completed project. And, and, and if there's change conditions, uh, you know, economic Etc. And we're focused on the the changed economic di conditions because right. of the uh, additional development. Uh, go in and look and see if the project's still adequate. Are there additional measures needed? Uh, and you know, that's the goal and purpose of our study. Okay. So, given the fact that the risks, not because the structure is in poor condition or that the structure is in in uh, risk of failure, but because of the the downstream development is so much more dense, so much more valuable. There's so much more life and limb and property at risk. Good thing to take a pause, double check. Let's take a look at this thing. Does it have the capacity to provide flood protection for the city? Would that be a fair summary uh, in, my, in the neighborhood? That uh, sounds uh, pretty close to the bullseye there. Okay, so I understand that the BBTR, uh, in part, was prompted by the experience of Hurricane Harvey. Can you talk about how 
uh, Hurricane Harvey influenced the, the process that you're on, uh, in the middle of right now? Well, uh, Hurricane Harvey was a catastrophic event for the area. Uh, you know, Houston uh, w really was one of the three landfalls that that storm made. Yeah. And as part of the recovery to that event, uh, Congress passed uh, the Bipartisan Budget Act of 2018, which included funding for uh, a wide range of flood risk management uh, construction projects and studies, uh, you know, up and down the Texas coast uh, and in, uh, to address other projects in areas impacted by Hurricane Harvey's Irma and Maria. I understand. So the district had been wanting to take a look at this for a while. The Harris County Flood Control District has been sensitive to the issue of, of the two reservoirs um, and the change conditions for years. And all of a sudden, Harvey occurs, Congress opens the pocketbook and says to the Corps, guess what, here's the funds. Why don't you take a hard look at this and see what you can do to further reduce the risk that the reservoirs provide. Uh, so in a way, the hurricane opens the door for the investigation that you're in the middle of now, it sounds like. Uh, you know, co Congress controls the, the purse spring, string. So uh, when, when they provide the money, we're able to, to take the harder look. Uh, now, they, for whatever reason, uh, saw a need to further fund flood risk management in the Houston area. Uh, they funded two studies specific to the Houston area as well as, uh, I want to say, three construction, three or four construction projects for various uh, bayou improvement projects. Well, 55 inches of rain, I think it was, uh, Hurricane Harvey, unprecedented, uh, well beyond the design of any flood control measures I, I can imagine that were built and designed. Um, must have been uh, a pretty extraordinary event to witness uh, as uh, the folks are involved in the, in the flood protection for this great American city. So the, the Houston area has unfortunately seen several, you know, record-setting floods in, in the past few years. Uh, uh, more specifically towards this project area, there was the tax day flood of 2016. Uh, that set a new pull of record at both dams. Mm -hmm. it, it roughly doubled the previous pull of record from the 90s. Uh, and, wow. then, and then the next year, Hurricane Harvey comes and almost doubles again the, the pull of record and the Man. stores that we've seen at, at both of these reservoirs. So, uh, you know, one thing that this study is going to do is we're going to incorporate the latest and newest uh, rainfall precipitation statistics. Uh, so, and what that means is uh, most people have probably heard about a 100-year event. Right. Well, with these new statistics, <clears throat> is a 100-year really a 100-year event, or is it a 50-year, 75-year event? And, and, you know, uh, while we're doing this initial scoping and plan formulation, uh, there are... Uh, engineers, uh, certified floodplain managers, working to update our models with the most current information to, you know, base the study on. Okay, so you're updating the potential risks that can occur, maybe redefining what is a 100-year storm event nowadays. Is it different from the old understanding of what the storm could be or do? Um, what... Uh, 
I understand you're early in the process, beginning the NEPA process to develop an environmental impact statement or an, an environmental assessment, one of the two, depending on the impacts. Um, and you're in the scoping stage. Tell our listeners a little bit about where what that means in your planning process. What does a NEPA scoping mean okay. to the general public out there? Well, uh, what that means is we're still at the very beginning. Yeah, uh, We are out there... Uh, looking for any past studies, any bright ideas. Uh, w- right now, the the door is open. It, we're looking and actively soliciting ideas for wh- how can we address this issue? How can we make this better for uh, Houston and the surrounding communities? Uh, you know, w- we've worked with uh, Harris County Flood Control District extensively. They have a long history of, of local knowledge. Uh, we've also worked with uh, other uh, citizens groups and nonprofits organizations, uh, the Cypress Creek Flood Control Coalition, uh, the Willow Fork Drainage District, a, a wide variety of organizations, just you know what has been looked out in the past with the idea of, of somehow uh, focusing in on the ideas with the most promise. And so okay. uh, in the next two weeks, we're going to begin our formal uh, public scoping meetings. And that's where uh, you'll have team members and experts from the core uh, at a uh, high school gym or a, a church uh, activity center, you know, to tell the public more, more detailed updates and, and solicit their comments. You know, have we distilled this to the, to the right array to look at further? Right. And, and, you know, is there local knowledge that can help us implement any of these ideas? So that scoping step for the folks out there is, is really an important uh, beginning point of an of environmental impact statement and the, and the definition of alternative approaches to solve a problem. So let me just back up a little bit. The purpose of the investigation um, I've read is to improve the Attics and Barker Reservoirs to reduce upstream and downstream flood risk. Basically, we're trying to we're trying to make this system work a little bit better. Is that fair? So we're we're looking at the <clears throat> entire Buffalo Bayou system. Uh, okay. You know, the Attics and Barker are a very key component of that, and okay. there are certain you know risk drivers uh, that are more prevalent either upstream or downstream. But but we are looking at the uh, entire okay. bayou, not not just just the reservoirs. Okay. Yes. And the scoping process, I've always tried to describe it um, as where you sit down and you try to figure out what's the table of contents of the study going to be. What are we going to actually discuss in the study? What risks uh, do we intend to identify and evaluate? Um, What approaches seem to make sense in response to that? Is that a fair way to understand it, kind of the table of contents? I mean, you're not doing the investigation yet. This is to determine the scope of the NEPA document. Right. Uh, you know, with the, the finite time that we have to do this study, it's a, it's a three-year study, uh, and the finite dollars, it's a $6 million study, uh, we have to make sure that our, our time and money is spent on developing ideas that are most likely to have a difference. I got you. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. And, and, and to that end, you know, when when the public comes out uh, in the next couple weeks, it, it's not going to be an empty slate. Uh, we've we've already done some initial steps. You know, we've we've put together a you know large lists of possible ideas, 
and we've started to do some preliminary grouping, okay. at least on a, a a large concept level scale. Got yeah. Uh, can you share? Um, I know it's very early, and I don't want the audience to misunderstand. These are not proposals at this stage. It really is a, the, the nature of the investigation. Um, as you've evaluated it leading into the scoping meetings, um, what's on the list so far? Well, again, very high level. Uh, we've, at least the, the first level hierarchy, uh, with flood water, you, you can't really consume it just because of how fast it's coming at you. So you either have to store it or convey it or or remove the risk to, to people and property. Okay. And, and so uh, the uh, all of the alternatives that we've come to so far uh, fall under one of those categories. Uh, just a, a, an example perhaps under each, uh, storage. You know, how, how can we possibly increase storage in the system? Okay. Uh, some uh, popular proponents that locals may have uh, read in the news, there, there's a lot of talk about a potential third reservoir. Okay. Or, or, you know, can we excavate the existing reservoir so that they can hold more? Increase the, the storage capacity from 150,000 acre feet to a greater number by deepening the reservoir. Um, how much more could you get out of it, do you think, at this stage? Is it a 10% change? Maybe you can well, have a rough idea? Once we complete the scoping process, that, that's when we can start crunching right. the numbers and see which of these ideas have the most potential. Okay. And, you know, that that's the intent of this whole process is to get to a single recommendation that, you know, makes the most... Uh, economic sense, right. you know, what are we getting the return on our investment dollar, return on the tax dollar? Is it uh, economically sound? Are we not impacting anything that we shouldn't, or are we properly mitigating for impacts that we can't avoid? And it's too early in that process to, to even speculate. Well, you know, I just attempted to ask, but, but I do understand exactly what you're saying. And I think it's important for folks to understand and people who don't regularly participate in core planning exercises or similar exercises on these complicated coastal and hydrologic and water related issues um, you mentioned at least three factors that would influence how this decision would be made can you talk about the considerations that would go into shaping the recommendation not you know specifically what it would be but what do you have to consider and think about as you evaluate the possibilities Right. Well, the you know the, this is less an uh, official factor, but but something that's uh, very prevalent in, in the discussions that I've had with my team and and with members of the public is that there is very much a a scale issue here. So, uh, Addicts and Barker both currently provide a lot of storage. So, okay, uh, what is it that we can do that uh, makes a significant or meaningful impact. Uh, for example, when when people say uh, "dig it out," you know, they're, they're, it's a very simple concept, right? But you know, we need to play it out to the full scale. You know, how many millions of cubic yards of dirt does that mean? You know, where do we put that? Right. How many trucks? 
do we put on the highway to move that material? You know, how many years does it take to move that much material? Right. And, and, and so... And is the, uh, the dam itself uh, sufficiently strong to, to hold that much more water? Right. And, and all, of, all of that kind of analysis needs to go into what sounds like a fundamentally simple idea. Right. Uh, but, but once we get past the scoping process and, and we start crunching the numbers, that, that's what we're going to be trying to capture. You know, we're, we're going to take this, this concept. What are the, the engineers start put some numbers to it. You know, what are the dollars? What's the timeline? What's the benefit? Uh, I have a team of economists. You know, we're going to spend all this money and get all this capacity. What, what are the reductions to impacts? You know, that's our uh, return on investment for this decision. Uh, Got it. You know, what are our impacts environmentally? The, you know, the Attics and Barker Reservoirs are currently very large green space in Houston. They're very popular uh, hike and bike trails, uh, golf courses. There's a, there's a wide range of recreational mm-hmm. opportunities that have developed within the footprints of those dams. Isn't and, that interesting? Now, I just have to ask you, so back in the 20s when they decided to respond to this uh, flood, and in 30, 1939 they authorized these retention reservoirs to protect the city of Houston from flooding, and lo and behold, you create these very large areas of green space, effectively. Um, and because we're human beings, we decided to make them fun places to be and put parks in the middle of them and golf courses and other things in the reservoir footprint isn't uh and and that's part of the complexity of this is that these just aren't big open ditches this is a this is as you say critical to the green space enjoyment of this city right and and you know we don't have an official recreational component to this project, but just with that space and through our operations and out grant and work with the local communities, you know, we've put in, uh, there's soccer fields in there, there's a, a wide range of use. And, and so even when we talk about what are the environmental impacts of any of the alternatives we choose, it, it's not just green and trees, although there's a lot of that, you know, w- within our reservoirs and also downstream along historic Buffalo Bayou. There's also how does any of this impact the community? Does it, is it, you know, what are the impacts of, of taking away those soccer fields or, right. or uh, removing that green space to the local community? So there, there's definitely a, very much a human element in, in any of the environmental uh, assessments that we do for any of the proposed yeah, yeah. alternatives. That makes sense. And if you're thinking about deepening the reservoir so it holds more water you might be talking about scraping off all those soccer fields and all those hike and bike trails and all of that and those are valid and legitimate uh considerations in a NEPA analysis uh, the effect on the human environment very important thing um let's talk about you you said there's some fundamentally simple ideas here one of them was increase the storage capacity either by making the reservoirs uh uh, have greater capacity the two existing or adding a third reservoir to hold some um, the second simple idea you said was maybe to convey it what tell us what that idea would be how would that help reduce flood risk to Houston well conveyance simply put how, how can we move that water in a uh, safe and efficient manner okay uh, and at a high level that's well, let's make improvements to where it already goes now. So, so down Buffalo Bayou, 
so that it, it can handle that kind of flow or, or load. Uh, another which uh, has also received some coverage in the uh, local press and Harris County Flood Control District is undertaking a, a more broader look at this concept for the whole county, whereas we're looking more specifically for this one watershed, but, right. but tunnels. L let's take the water underground. Yeah. You know, it, there's a less of an impact to communities. Uh, it's, we get to reserve some of the green space. There, there's less of a land acquisition component to a right. project like that. And, and so that is something that we're going to take a harder look at. Okay. And work through uh, what some of the the technical uh, technical feasibility of that is, what some of the costs are, and we'll we'll see where it shakes out in the end. So I was reading in the in the paper a little bit at the lead up to this discussion, but the channeling or improvement of the channel flow below the reservoir, so the water gets down and out of the city of Houston faster. Uh, but Buffalo Bayou Boy is a favorite place for lots of reasons and property values along the reservoir. I mean the Buffalo Bayou, so the channeling option, not a simple one. The tunneling option, which is the, I can, I can understand the appeal. If you had the money and the technology to simply get the water from the west side of Houston out to Galveston Bay by going underneath the city, boy, you wouldn't have to worry so much about what was on top of the land. Is, is that, do you, and I, this is a, this is, I'm asking kind of a, this is a complete conjecture question, and I understand if you can't answer it. Do you think tunneling is a viable, does it sound viable at this stage? I mean, obviously the studies haven't been done. Um, do you think it makes the scoping list as a, as a, an idea? Is it viable enough to be investigated? So do, it, you, do you know yet? As we've kind of progressed through this process, there we have been reaching out to uh, other districts, uh, other places where similar infrastructure has been constructed. And uh, the answer that we've been getting is that it is a technically feasible solution. So uh, uh, there's a, a good chance that it will be carried forward. And, you know, the purpose of our, the next phase of our study will be, you know, what is the capacity? What are the dollars? Right. Do, does it come forward as a preferred alternative? Right. I mean, it's the kind of decision-making process I think most people are familiar with there in their own personal life. You got, you know, we know there's a problem. We're going to try to tackle it. Maybe it's a new roof on the house. Well, we could, we could, we could just patch one section of the roof. That's pretty cheap. But if you look at the long-term cost, maybe not the best idea. Maybe we should repair the whole thing with shingles, or maybe we should go to something more durable like tin. Or you know, these are these are the kind of decisions that people in their personal lives contend with. Which is, you can't simply say let's just fix the roof. You you bring into the picture how much does that alternative cost versus this one, and which one lasts longer. And if you look at the big picture, I mean, when you're working on a problem of this scale, those kinds of trade-offs are quite subtle and, uh, and not easy to get through. Well, I, I've kind of talked the highlights of a couple of them. I, I'm really looking forward to the team to put pen to paper and, and start answering that question and, and you know, start quantifying what those concepts look like because that will really help 
not only our study, but the, the public conversation and discourse around what is the next step for right. the area. That makes good sense. And I think for the public to understand is these scoping meetings are not a sales pitch. This isn't, this is what we're going to do. This is truly the thinking phase of how you tackle a really complex problem and inviting the public to participate in thinking this through in public all together. This is what seems like worth our time and energy to better understand. Uh, I understand there's five scoping meetings. Is that is that accurate? Can we? That is correct. Let's 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 help the public understand when those occur, how they can find out. How do you sign up? You don't have to be a member of anything. You don't have to be a member of Sam's Clubs to go to these things. Everybody's available and open to go. But can you walk us through um, where these things will be and uh, and how can they learn more about it? Well, I'd be happy to do that. Probably the, the easiest for anybody listening uh, is to start with our website, uh, HTTPS, you know, colon backslash backslash <laughs> uh, www we know that uh, part dot swg dot usace dot army dot mil okay and, and on that home page that there'll be uh on the right a very big button that says buffalo bayou and tributaries resiliency study all right and, and that'll have a whole rundown on the study but it will also include the the schedule here for the public meetings um, all right now i'm going to do that a little slower uh, so you're going to SWG, which stands for Southwest Galveston, right? Southwest Division, Gal- it, right? Galveston, Galveston SWG.USACE, the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, dot Army, because we're in the Army, and dot Mil, M-I-L, which is the military. So if you get SWG.USACE.Army.Mil, or just Google up BBTR or maybe Buffalo Bayou, and tributaries resiliency study you probably find it probably and uh and you can call the core public information office to help you find it but they start april 30th that's the first scoping meeting so coming up here in what's today eight days from now so next wednesday no tuesday, tuesday. next tuesday april 30th may 2nd may 7th may 9th right and may 8th and may 8th so it all happens pretty quickly. They're at multiple locations in Houston. Um, so if somebody, these meetings are about three hours in duration, and it is, tell us about what a scoping meeting is. So if someone's walking in from their neighborhood and say, you know, gee whiz, I think I will stop in at that scoping meeting. What does the room look like and what happens and how does it work? What's a scoping okay. meeting? Well, so the way that we've arranged it, uh, we are ex- there's a lot of interest in this study, and, and we're expecting high turnout. And, and so one of the ways that we're hoping to reach the highest amount of people is, is that we're actually going to stage multiple events with the inv- event. And what that means is that at, at the beginning of each meeting, uh, we're planning a, you know, a 15, 30-minute kickoff presentation this is who we are this is what we're doing okay and we're gonna and then in the adjacent room or rooms we'll have a series of storyboards and so after you get kind of the high level overview from uh either the colonel or myself and welcoming you to the meeting and providing some basic details you'll be able to go and peruse these storyboards that that tell what we're doing it why we're doing it uh just there'll be a lot of information and there'll be core and Harris County Flood Control District staff there 
that, that you can talk with. Okay. And so if you have a question, wonderful. there'll be experts there. It'll be very uh, informal, uh, more conversation-like, and, and it'll be a way for you to ask questions and, and deliver comments. And, and so e- each one of those staff members will be, be taking down your comments, or there'll be comment cards where you can go look at everything and and you know really kind of try and focus down what your thoughts are and submit them to us or uh, you can even submit them to us electronically uh, via email with uh, the information okay that's pretty good so part of these uh these scoping meetings is education hey here's this is the corps of engineers this is the harris county flood control district this is what we do uh, this is what this project is about and here that's you know so there's a lot of information available and then a chance to talk one-on-one with the professionals involved in the decision-making process that sounds fantastic Um, and and so you know because we are expecting a high turnout we're going to have one of those uh, introductory overall overarching powerpoint you know one of those presentations every about every hour gotta have it oh really every hour because because you know we 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 want this to reach the most people as possible Great. Uh, we're expecting a lot, and hopefully we can, you know, spread out that so everybody has more of a chance to, to come at a time that's more convenient to them and also have more you. of a one-on-one chance with the staff on hand. Well, that's pretty good. So uh, May 7th, for example, 5 to 8 p.m. at the Trinity Mendenhall Community Center from 5 to 8 p.m. So you can come at 5 o'clock, hear the presentation, talk to some folks. At 6 o'clock, the presentation's repeated. You can talk to some folks that if you come at 6, if you come at 7. You're, you, that's really great. So you've got anywhere you can drop in there and catch up with the process. And, and so all five of these meetings are going to follow that format. They're all going to be exactly the same, but, okay. but they're spread out throughout the, the geographic air study area so that it, hopefully it's more convenient for people to, to come out and uh, attend these. Gotcha. So we're in Katy, we're over in Houston, we're in a variety of different locations. Find it online, go to one of the meetings, and if you want to go to more than one, you can, and you'll hear the same presentation by the same folks. The comment part is important, because part of this is to, to let them know what you're doing, to be very open and transparent about the process you're about to engage in, but also to get some feedback. So, um, Talking to the staff, telling them what you think about it is one way. The comment card, uh, fill it out. Those are collected and compiled and and go into the public record, right? This all goes into the official public record of the scoping process. Uh, I'm not 100% on that. I need to get my NEPA specialist in here for that. But uh, I am expecting to get to read uh, quite a few comment cards. (laughs) And... uh, and if, you, if you're not prepared to say what you think about it at the meeting, how much time after the workshops do you have to send in an email or a letter or your point of view to the Corps of Engineers? So uh, you'll have till the end of the month, till the end of May. Okay, till the end of May. And once this scoping process is done, that be, as you said, that is step one in the development of an alternatives analysis and a NEPA analysis. Um, that simply sets the stage for the work that's going to follow and the, and the public engagement workshops that will get as the, as the ideas and the proposals advance, there's chances for the public to come back and look at the specific ideas later on down the road, right? And right. So uh, 
we're going to take all these comments and, and, and make sure that we're on, on the right path, uh, you know, take any uh, input that we can. The, the next time that this is really going to go to, through to the public in a, a more formal setting is, is uh, we're planning to put forward our preferred or recommended alternative uh, next summer. Okay, summer of 2020. So you've got a lot of work to do between the scoping process, and that's a great way to put it. It's, it's, it sort of lights the path. It's the roadmap you're going to follow. That's what the scoping process develops. And then you start going down the path, do the analysis and the work. During that analysis and work period leading up to, as you said, the preferred alternative or the recommended approach, um, does the public, do you go and talk to the public and say, hey, we're about halfway through this one, it's looking pretty good, or we've got some issues with this one? Do you inform them at all during that period, or do they come up with the draft recommended approach, and then they see it? So once we start really crunching the numbers, we enter a phase where, where some of that becomes pre-decisional and is, is not as releasable to the public. Right. Uh, as with other projects, we, we still continue to have uh, more localized contact. Like if we get invited to go do a presentation, we'll give a, a you know, a rough study update. You know, right. this is what we're looking at. Not not so much any of the, we can't hint at the decisions or anything. Okay, I understand. But the, the caveat to that is if we're going along and, and something falls out, so just that this doesn't make sense, this doesn't have the benefit we had, we, we would officially put out that, hey, this is no longer under consideration. Okay. That's really good to know. So if you're in the public out there and you're affected by this issue, and who the heck isn't in Houston by the uh, Buffalo Body Flood Control Study, um, is you can call the Corps and say, listen, we've got a meeting in our community group. We'd love to get a rough update on the study process. Can you come talk to us? You can pay attention to to those discussions. And as you say, if an alternative disappears, this simply is not technically possible. It simply is too expensive. You'll let the public know during the process. So you can uh, benefit by tracking the process during the investigative period. Um, And and stay tuned to our website. We'll we'll be uh, putting updates on there, uh, study documents as they uh, are completed and become releasable. We'll be populating that website. Uh, Okay. Well, um, let me ask you this. So, So we're talking about... Uh, trying to reduce the risk uh, from Buffalo Bayou flooding. You said the study budget is $6 million, uh, that the draft alternative or the recommended alternative would be released sometime in the summer of 2020. So we got a sense of the time. We have a sense of the cost. Do you have any idea what the available funds are to fix the problem or to improve it? What would the construction budget look like? Is it more than a million dollars? Is it more than $10 million? I would assume the answers to those two are easily yes. But do you have a sense of what the resources available uh, to work with might be? So part one part of the that we'll be trying to communicate in the public meetings is that process. What does the funding process look? How does this go from study to construction? Right. Uh, and, and the answer to that is that's largely contingent on Congress. Uh, at the end of this study, we'll be submitting our report to them. Uh, it is that Congress will decide to authorize the project, and mm-hmm. then they will later decide whether to appropriate funds to 
constructed or not. Right. So the fact that that's not really known right now is not unusual. It's not specific to this project. This is true for all the core districts and all the core projects in the United States of America is until the recommended project is identified and Congress authorizes it, you really don't You'll have a pretty good budget going into that discussion, but you won't know until Congress acts. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we will lay out the investment decision before Congress. We'll, we'll have a, a potential price tag and a potential timeline for implementation. Yeah. Uh, but and, until they provide dollars, uh, it, it's yeah. we're waiting for dollars. Okay. Now, this is the, because I'm... Uh, this is something that came to mind as you were describing the fundamental simple ideas of, of holding more water, increasing the storage capacity of the system or the, in the watershed, uh, conveying the water out of the system in a better way that is less risky to the community, uh, maybe upstream management of flows, perhaps pervious services or impervious cover and all sorts of other sort of things that can happen is it, it's allowed that you can have more than one answer, right? You can have some capacity upgrades, some conveyance upgrades. Isn't, isn't it, it's not, or is this a one or the other? What do you expect here? And I know this is, again, Andrew, I know this is speculative, but in your experience with the core, is it likely that there could be a combination of approaches here that get the best result? So, you know, one, one point that I want to make is that it's a system. All right, so a, a, an increase in, in storage, you know, helps with our with the conveyance element of, of the question of the problem. The, the same way that uh, improved conveyance can uh, relieve some of the pressure on storage. Right. So, so it, it really is a, a, a system that we're looking at, and no matter which one comes to the forefront, it, it's going to have system-wide effects. Got it. Uh, now, do I think it's a, a, a single, you know, magic bullet, one, one, one of these ideas fixes everything? Well, we'll look at it, but it, it's likely that, uh, or there's a potential for any one of these alternatives to have smaller supplementing uh, features to really make it a whole, complete plan. Huh. But, you know, we have to answer the the big question right now so once okay. we got it we got a screen between the the big ideas and, okay. and then once we have a big idea we can start uh fleshing it out to a complete got it proposal so something more refined of course including operational uh standards that may govern how the system is 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 implemented definitely wow what a big job and you know the, the city of houston is is struggled with flooding since it was founded i think in reading the history of the city uh i think it flooded within the first year there were number of flooding flooding events throughout the history of the city's formative stages it continued to become the great american city that it is and uh I guess you're the point person uh, of a long line of people who've taken a hard look at flooding in the in the city of Houston. Uh, what does that feel like when you wake up every day thinking that's a that's a heck of a responsibility? Well, I just think that I'm privileged to to work for and towards a a public goal uh, for, uh, for public service and trying to. Uh, 
help and assist you know the, the, the people of Houston, the, the people of Texas, the people of the United States. That's fantastic. Uh, Andrew Weber, project manager for Buffalo Bayou and Tributaries Resiliency Study, a major initiative with the Galveston uh, U.S. Army Corps of Engineers District. Andrew, thank you very much for walking us through this really important process, and good luck in the scoping meeting starting uh, May 30th. Uh, April, up. April oh, 30th. I'm sorry, April 30th, next Tuesday. Thank you so much. Beaches and cell, two bedroom hotels, my father's and mine was you.